0: Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your baseball is suspended home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about baseball and apparently life without baseball at Bleed Cubby Blue, but if you've been bummed without listening to baseball games in 2020, we have a very special guest today who may just be able to help you out.
1: It's not me, but this is Andy Cruz-Viannasek, and I'm very excited to be here as I normally am, and also with our special guest, Pat Hughes.
0: Pat, Hello.
2: Hello, how are you, Sarah and Andy?
0: We're pretty beyond thrilled to have you here, I'm not going to lie. I have missed the voice of the Cubs on the radio, and thanks so much for being here with us today, Pat.
2: Well, I have uh, a little extra time on my hands, unfortunately, because the pandemic has uh, delayed the start of the Cubs season, but I'm trying to remain optimistic, and I hope that there will be some form of Cubs baseball. I don't know where the games will be played or when they will begin, or when the World Series might occur, or what the regular season might look like as far as a schedule. But I really am remaining optimistic. I know there are a lot of people, ballplayers and front offices, and especially fans, who would love to have some form of baseball.
0: I,
1: I'm sorry. I'm just stuck on the fact that I get to hear Pat Hughes right now. I, I'm so excited <laughs> about this. Like, uh, seriously. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that you and my mother s- share the same birthday. My my mom would be very upset if I did not say that. So, you guys so, share the same birthday. So I will never forget your birthday, Pat Hughes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so she's a she, she's a a Gemini, also, huh?
1: She is, but she's a bigger Cubs fan, so that's all that she worries about that, that her and Pat Hughes share the same birthday. So I had to mention that. Well, I'm gonna go ahead I and jump right, I. I will definitely oh my gosh, are you kidding? She will <laughs> she'll be beside herself. Um I'm gonna go ahead and jump right in with a question if you don't mind, Pat. Uh obviously we we like to talk baseball here, but we want to know a little bit more about you. Uh can you tell us in true cup of cubby blue fashion here? We're gonna ask your first or favorite baseball memory
2: easy game 7 2016 world series chicago cubs beat the cleveland indians and i said something like the chicago cubs win the world series
1: okay now i'm crying thank you now i have i have tears like i listened to that before we jumped on just to you know to like get me all excited i didn't need much help but just to get me there. And then you said it. And now I'm like, I can't stop smiling. My face is red. I probably have tears in my eyes. Okay. So then tell us your first baseball memory. Cause we know that that's a favorite. Tell us your first baseball memory.
2: First baseball memory. One of them would be the first big league game I ever saw. It was about 1960, I would say at candlestick park giants against the pirates and Felipe Lou Moise's dad, Felipe Lou playing for the giants. Hit a grand slam to right center, and the Giants won the game. The Giants had a team full of Hall of Famers and star players, Willie Mays and Orlando Cepeda. Now, my older brother uh, chose Willie Mays for his favorite. I always had to be different from my brother, so I chose Orlando Cepeda as my favorite player. He was not only a great player, but I loved his name. It just had such a pleasant flow to it. Orlando Cepeda. And then on top of that, every time I would go to games, and my father, who was a college professor, loved baseball. He coached our little league teams, and uh, he was always watching games and listening to games. So I'm sure that one of the reasons I love sports is because of my dad. But um, he would always take us to maybe two or three games at Candlestick Park in San Francisco every year. And it seemed like every game, Orlando Cepeda would hit a home run. And when I was six or seven years old, I was sure he was hitting them just for me, not for anyone else. <laughs> just it was it was just a a friendship that he and I had. So, anyway, those are some of my earliest memories of baseball. And, and by the way, Philippe Lou later became the manager of the Montreal Expos, as you might recall. And uh, Moise Salou, his son, played for the Cubs and was a very good player and a great guy also. But I went up to Philippe Alou, and I introduced myself when I met him. It was at the old uh, Olympic Stadium in Montreal. And I said, "Uh, Philippe, I do the radio for the Chicago Cubs, and I want you to know that the first big league game I ever saw, you belted a grand slam against the Pittsburgh Pirates. He looked at me and said, slider. (laughs) 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 He remembered the exact pitch of the grand slam that he hit against the Pirates that day. That's 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 the way ballplayers are. They if they did something great, they will remember the count, uh, what they did earlier that day, the pitch sequence in the key at bat of the game. And then finally, they always could tell you what pitch they hit for a game winning single or a game winning double or whatever. It's amazing how that works.
0: So it sounds like you grew up a Giants fan, Pat. That's another fan base that had kind of a pretty long drought between World Series there. That must have been a cool moment, too.
2: They did. But actually, I was long gone from there. I was uh, well into about my 15th year with the Cubs as a radio announcer. So they were no longer my team. The Cubs are my team now. But uh, the Giants were always good. I mentioned they had a, um, uh, a team full of stars and future Hall of Famers. I tell people, uh, if you went to a doubleheader between the Chicago Cubs and the San Francisco Giants around 1966, you could have seen nine future Hall of Famers in one day at the ballpark. Nine. Think about that. Uh, If the rotation for the pitchers fell just right, it would be Juan Marichal going in game one, Gaylord Perry in game two. Fergie Jenkins would have started one of the games for the Cubs. So that's three right there. The other six would be uh, Willie Mays, Orlando Cepeda, and Willie McCovey for the Giants. And, of course, every Cub fan knows that it would be Ron Santo, Ernie Banks, and Billy Williams on the field for the Cubs that day. So um, that's, that's pretty amazing. And I, I'm sure that it happened uh, more than once. So – and, and here's another, another thing. When I was a kid, my older brother John – and I would always try to sneak into clubhouses and sneak into (laughs) press conferences, and we would always get ushered away. The security guys would say, kids, take a hike, or do you have any credentials? And we would say no, and they would say, sorry, see you later, but we would always try. And um, you you, 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 you can't get discouraged just because they say no every once in a while, that's not a big deal, but the only clubhouse that he and I ever successfully snuck into was the Chicago Cubs. And the first person we saw was Ernie Banks. And we recognized him immediately. Hi, Mr. Banks. I was probably 10. My brother was probably 13. And he shook hands with us. And he had that famous uh, strong grip with his great wrists and the, the way he was able to hit all those home runs. He had those lightning fast hands and wrists. And he had a real strong handshake, but he was smiling and he could not have been nicer. And after that, we always loved Ernie Banks. I did see Ron Santo. I would like to tell you that I sat down and talked to him because he and I then became partners on Cubs Radio for 15 years. But uh, Ronnie just looked big. He must not have had any hits the day before because he was kind of scowling. And, <laughs> and his uniform, he wore it real tight. And he just looked like a giant. To a 10-year-old kid, and I was kind of a skinny little guy, he looked like uh, Superman. And we just—he there was something about him that we just could not go over and talk to him. But then we saw Billy Williams. And Billy was sitting there quietly reading a newspaper, and I happened to see that he was reading about his game from the previous day at Dodger Stadium against Don Drysdale. And I said, Billy, I saw that game. You know, what was it like And and I I said, uh, what was it like hitting against Don Drysdale yesterday? And he he looked at me like, "Um, you know, and he he answered the question. He said, well, he he had good stuff. You know, he was was pretty tough. He beat us, but we'll get another shot at him later on or something like that. And then uh, we peppered him with questions. You know, what's it like playing on the same field with Willie Mays? And, uh, you know, what's it like trying to hit against Juan Marichal? You know, things that a kid would ask a big league player. And Billy was very nice, he was very nice. At any point during this conversation, he could have asked for security to get these kids out of here, but he <laughs> didn't. And I still tell him to this day, Billy, thanks for not running us out of the clubhouse that day. But anyway, then after a while he said, so he knew we were in there uh, probably you know, illegally, but he didn't care. And finally he said, so who are you guys with? And I didn't know what he meant. Uh, because I, I, I feel like saying, well, I'm with my brother. But <laughs> <laughs> but Billy said, um, um, I mean, my older brother said, well, our father is a professor at San Jose State. And Billy just kind of nodded. I, I could tell he wasn't really overly impressed. <laughs> but he was nice about it. I mean, he really a, a, and he was he was as nice as he could be. And uh, then finally, we just left and we saw Leo DeRocher come into the room. And he, looked, he also looked angry and intimidating, and that was kind of like our cue to leave. Um, he didn't say anything, but I think he saw us there, and he was wondering, like, what are these kids doing in the clubhouse an hour before the first pitch, which is a pretty good question. <laughs> uh, that was the only time that we ever snuck into a clubhouse successfully, and the great irony is that I would someday become the radio voice of the Chicago Cubs.
0: Okay. Everything about that is incredible and actually perfectly sets up one of the questions I've been dying to ask you, which is, you know, some of my favorite baseball memories were called by you and Ron Santo, and your chemistry in the booth was just extraordinary. Can you share one of your favorite moments working with Ron Santo?
2: Well, there were so many. Um, I I, I think the the one, the the greatest hit um, would be when his hairpiece caught on fire. And you've probably heard this story before, but I I don't mind telling it. It's it's a lot of fun. And um, if you have heard it, please bear with me. But it was a cold night. It was early in the 2003 season. Cubs and Mets at Old Shea Stadium. In our visiting radio booth along the first base side at Shea, they had an old fashioned electric heater. Uh, The heater, the kind that glowed a bright orange when you turned it on. And this thing was bright orange that night. It was a very cold evening. So we stood for the national anthem, and Ron Sato made the mistake of getting a little too close to the heater. And about halfway (laughs) through the song, I smell something burning. And I I hear something sizzling like bacon on a stove. (laughs) I look around, Ron Sato's hairpiece is on fire. I did what any good partner would have done. I grabbed a glass of ice water, splashed it on top of his head. Which, by the way, is not the way that the typical big league broadcast begins with one announcer splashing the other with water on top of the head. But I've, I felt that I had to do it. Um, so anyway, Ronnie was a he was a very handsome man and he was always very vain about his appearance, to be honest with you. His first thought was, how does it look? <laughs> oh, Lord. How does it look? I I looked at him and almost laughed right in his face. It looked like a professional golfer had taken a pitching wedge and whacked a ball right off the top of his noggin. There was a divot, <laughs> a divot in the top of Ron Santo's head. Oh my goodness! Now the uh, the the end of the story, and this is um, uh, completely true. We always had a great laugh about this later on. The Mets' starting pitcher that night was Al. Lighter.
0: (laughs) Oh
2: wow!
0: (laughs) That's (laughs) standing. That
1: could not have worked out perfect, more perfectly. Um, (laughs) So I want to know because obviously, you know, you've been with the Cubs now. Twenty twenty will be your twenty fifth season. You've had a lot of great things happen as far as you know, two thousand sixteen and the great story you just told us, and and I mean everything that goes with two thousand sixteen. But besides that season. What is another on-the-field memorable moment for you that you got to call, that you got to witness in the booth?
2: Well, I would say that same 2016 season, uh, the game where the Cubs won the pennant, uh, game six of the NLCS where uh, Kyle Hendricks pitched the the game of his life. Uh, He gave up, I think, one hit in seven and a third, Um, no runs. He might have walked a couple, but he was just lights out, and it was a great performance by Kyle. Kyle. And then the Cubs jumped all over Clayton Kershaw in that game with some early runs. Uh, Anthony Rizzo homered. So did Wilson Contreras. A lot of key hits. I think Chris Bryant drove in a run or two. But that was an extremely special night. And the reason it is slightly more um, meaningful to me is the fact that it happened at Wrigley Field. Uh, not to take anything away from the World Series. That that was uh, the greatest moment perhaps in Cubs history when they finally snapped the 108 year drought in Cleveland. But the only thing that would have made it sweeter is if it could have occurred in Chicago at Wrigley in front of the best fans in the universe. The game six of the NLCS did occur in front of the best fans in the universe. And that's why it was so special. And and it was also remember before they had won the world series, that win gave them their first National League pennant since 1945, which was 71 years prior. So that's what, two or three generations of fans had come and gone without the Cubs even getting to the World Series. But that was a very, very special night, and I got to call that one, and um, uh, and Ron Coomer was right there with me for both that one and the World Series. And You know, it's funny, I, I get a lot of people that say, what would Ron Santo?" Uh, have done? Or what would he have said? Um, and, and they also say, did you think about Ron Santo a lot during Game 7 of the World Series? And what I tell them is, I say, well, yes, but I think about Ron Santo every day anyway, whether it's in-season or off-season. He and I were partners for 15 years. We were good friends. We were part of a very popular broadcast. So I think about Ron Santo all the time. So yes, I was thinking about him during game seven, but I was also thinking about Ernie Banks and Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse. But what I was really thinking about was the millions and millions of fans who never got to stay alive long enough to experience what you and I did that night. And uh, that was very emotional. Certainly millions did experience it, But when you think about how long it had been since 1908, think of all those people that would have loved to have seen one Chicago Cubs World Series title. And it didn't happen for 108 years. So that was that was extremely, extremely special.
1: Okay, so I have to ask, outside of 2016, is there anything that you can think of that would top that? I mean, obviously another World Series would be great because that's, you know, that's what you play for. But in your mind, could that even top that season or what you experienced in the booth that year?
2: That's a good question. Um, and by the way, Sarah and Andy, I'm enjoying this. You're asking very, very good questions. Um, Thank you. I, I, would, I would think if the Cubs could win the World Series at Wrigley, that would be, yeah. in my mind, the only thing that could possibly top Uh, the 2016 world title, because that was pretty special and so emotional, and it meant so much to so many people, but it would mean slightly more if they did it at Wrigley sometime. So I would love to be around for that. Yeah,
1: I agree. I agree.
0: Yeah, as one of the few thousand people who was milling in and around outside Wrigley Field on the night that they won the pennant, that was just an absolutely magical night, watching people starting to fill up the walls with chalk and wish well wishes for every person in their family who never got to see the Cubs go to a world series. I will never forget walking around that night. I imagine the Dodgers won't either. I heard it took their buses like four hours to get out of the. park. <laughs> you,
2: you know, that, that is so cool that fans do that, that they hang around the ballpark, even when the team is on the road, uh, they hang around the ballpark when there's a huge game going on. And then when there is a game going on at Wrigley, I distinctly remember 2003 in the National League Championship Series uh, when the Cubs were leading in game six. And we all know how that turned out with uh, the Marlins rallying for a big eighth inning and turning the tide and, and then upsetting the Cubs. But I remember both nights, they uh, we were obviously in the park and in the booth, but we had a television monitor right in front of us and repeatedly – they would show thousands of fans outside of Wrigley Field. They had to close off streets. Uh, there was just a mob out there. There were, there were 40,000 inside, and I would say about 30,000 right outside the park. I don't know if that happens in any other baseball facility. It, it doesn't to my knowledge. Maybe it does, but that's another unique thing, I think, about the Chicago Cubs. Um, Not only are you in the park, you're just you're near the excitement when anything dramatic could and possibly will occur.
1: I was going to say I was um, with a group of friends, the the game that uh, the Cubs played the Dodgers and Miguel Montero hit the Grand Slam. And we still insist that you could feel the ground shake blocks away from Wrigley when he hit that grand slam. And that was, I mean, we were there for hours, hours and hours. And it, it was just such a surreal experience to, to be out there for that.
2: Ron Coomer was saying that the other night, uh, we ran all of the games on the score. And uh, he said that when Montero hit that grand slam, he could feel the broadcast booth shaking. Yeah. And when you're on the upper deck, that's not a great feeling. (laughs) I'm sure it wouldn't be if you were in the lower deck either, now that I think about it. (laughs) But um, it was was as loud as it can possibly be. And then it was even louder the moment when they clinched the pennant in game six of the NLCS. The only other time I can remember it getting that loud, well, there were a couple. When the Cubs uh, clinched the division title against the Pirates, uh, back in 03 and at the end of the regular season. They had a, a doubleheader on a Saturday, and, and they went absolutely crazy when they clinched the uh, division title after Game 2 of that one. And then there was Sammy Sosa hitting a game-tying home run in Game 1 of the NLCS. It was against Uget Urbina, and that was another uh, thunderous uh, moment at the ballpark so the the stadium was shaking at that time too but um that's uh i mean it's not a brand new park you know that it's it's been around for a long time but uh it's it's uh, structurally sound and and it is so exciting when it gets that loud
0: it really really is i have been lucky to be in the ballpark for a couple of those moments we have a lot more with pat hughes coming up after the break but first a quick break for our sponsors and we're back. So, Pat, if my research is correct, you've been an MLB announcer since 1983, and you've seen just about everything from strike certain seasons to the Cubs winning a World Series. But I just have to ask, have you ever seen anything like this pandemic shutdown? and how are you holding up?
2: Well, I, I don't think anybody has seen anything like this, not, uh, uh, not in our lifetimes or for several generations. So, no, this is a new one on me. Um, I am hoping very much that a vaccine can be created by some smart doctors and scientists so that uh, we can put this pandemic behind us and we can get life back to normal it's it's scary it is um unprecedented like i said and uh it's you know plus you know for people of a certain age you 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 know that the older people are more vulnerable to um to catastrophic consequences so you got to be careful and I'm just hoping that uh, uh we can minimize the loss of life it's it's so bleak every morning to read the newspaper or to go online and look at the news and read about the new cases and the the fatalities from the day before it's heartbreaking because you know these are these are mothers and fathers and uncles and brothers and sons and and uh, it just kind of breaks your heart every day and um but so to be even talking about baseball I I feel like I'm just doing my job, and in no way do I feel like baseball is anywhere near as important as what is happening in society right now. But I feel like baseball is one of those diversions, and it offers uh, a form of escapism for the masses. And so, for that reason, that's why I still do things like this podcast with you and and other things, and um, you know, because it's my job and. I think people need to think about other things instead of just the uh the destruction and the loss of life because it it is very very uh depressing
0: i couldn't agree with you more i think that sports provide such a break and respite from the chaos of our lives and it's just been such a struggle is the wrong word there's so many people who are struggling in so many worse ways with this pandemic. Like the healthcare workers are doing a tremendous job. The people who are keeping the food chain going and the grocery stores and the bus workers, everybody is doing such a great job. But it's such a high anxiety time without that mental break that baseball provides. And I know that baseball has been there for me in like the hardest times in my life. And all of a sudden it's one of those and baseball is not here, which is just sad.
2: I think a lot of people feel that way. I think that um, baseball and all the other sports, but I think maybe baseball more than the others because it is every single day, and it's in the summertime, and it goes from spring until early autumn. And um, uh, you're outside, you're you're barbecuing, uh, you're at the beach, um, you're at the picnic, you're you're camping, and you can always have baseball on the radio or baseball on the television. So. It is a, a form, it's a very wholesome form of escapism. And I feel like some people uh, need baseball just to, uh, like you said, just to kind of forget about their own pro- problems for a few minutes or maybe a couple of hours. Sometimes um, I remember when I was younger, before I got in the business, uh, I would just want to turn on the game for about 20 or 30 minutes driving around. And just hear the voices and try to imagine what was going on in the ball game. And and all of a sudden, I forgot about my problems. So I think it's just, um, it's not, we we would like to think that people turn on the radio at the very beginning of the game, and they're hanging on every word and listening to every single pitch until the end of the game, and maybe even the pregame show and the postgame show. However, more realistically, I think people kind of come and go. Uh, they listen for a little while, then they go to the hardware store and they listen for a while, then they have some lunch and then they listen a little more. So it's just um, it's just like a, a comfort. It's like a friend, and I hope that Ron Coomer and I represent that to a lot of people. Like like we're their friends, and I think they feel like they know us and that they trust us and that they welcome us into their homes and their cars and their their cubicles at work and their workplaces. So um, that's a very special relationship, by the way, that that you have as a broadcaster. You don't really know these people personally, but you do know that they're out there in big numbers. When you work with a a franchise like the Chicago Cubs, you know that there are big numbers of people listening at any given moment every single day. And and it's a very special responsibility we have, but it's one that we never take lightly and we appreciate it very much.
1: I was going to say your voice, just hearing your voice right now, it's such an emotional thing because I know a lot of Cubs fans can relate to this. Hearing that, that one moment in time that will stick with us forever and that will be replayed for generations to come. And it's your voice on that. I can't imagine what that moment must have felt like for you. Like, is that something that you just replay over and over every day?
2: Uh, In my mind, I I guess I don't uh, necessarily turn on the CD player and and (laughs) listen to it in that manner. But I think about it and, um, you know, I tell people, they they say, well, did you plan out the words? And I said, well, you can't really do that on radio. Now, maybe as a television announcer, you can do that because you have all the pictures showing the audience what's going on. With radio, you have to be true to the radio audience. What if a person's out driving their car on the highway and that play comes up? Uh, you got to let them know exactly what's happened. So I felt like I did that okay, calling the play. I said, a a slow bouncer toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. And then I, I really paused until I was sure that the umpire called out before I jumped the gun. So I tried to be patient which was darn near impossible at that moment, but I, I think I achieved it. And I said, it's in time, and then the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. One thing I wanted was to be under control. I wanted it to be clearly understood what I was saying, even though I knew it would be a very emotional moment. I did not want my voice to crack. I didn't want uh, the emotions to ruin what was a very historic moment, because like you just said, I know this play is going to be replayed over and over and over forever. Uh, As long as they have recording devices and playback devices, they'll be playing that thing. So um, it's not the greatest call that's ever been made. Uh, Oh,
1: I disagree. I disagree.
2: (laughs) I disagree. I think it's the most amazing
1: call that's ever been made.
2: Well, I was I was okay with it. Um, I, I was happy that I got the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I described the Cubs uh, running out, and I happened to catch Ben Zobrist. If you ever watch the video, Ben's kind of running in. He sees the out call at first, and he jumps up in the air, and his arms and legs are just going anywhere they can. He's so happy. He just jumped in the air, and it reminded me of, A 10 year old. So I said, the Cubs are jumping up and down, and I happen to see Ben Zobrist uh, like a bunch of delirious 10 year olds. Um, And then I said, the longest drought in the history of American sports is over, and the celebration begins. What I actually should have said is the longest championship drought, uh, as I kind of critique what I did say. Uh, But all things considered, considering the tension of the moment, the drama, the historical consequences—I can certainly live with what I did that night.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think we're all okay with it, Pat. I think we're all going to be okay with it. <laughs> it was—it was something, honestly, that I would never be able to unhear. Like I just hearing your voice right now, like I get goosebumps thinking about it because you know, like Sarah and I have talked about this many times. We all put ourselves exactly where we were when we were watching it, when we were listening to it. We can all go back to that memory at any given time and your voice is a voice that we think about when we think of that memory. So you could have said anything and it would have been perfectly fine.
2: (laughs) Well, that's very kind of you. Again, we played the replay uh, on the score last Friday night of game seven. And I was, I was proud of another uh, line that just popped into my head. It was about maybe a minute before the final play. And I said, cub fans, you are going to remember exactly where you are right now for the rest of your life and i really felt that and i'm glad i said that uh if if the timing could have been better it would have been the next pitch but <laughs> you, you know you can't really you can't really plan things like that but i was glad i got that out there because i i do think everyone will remember exactly where they were when the cubs finally won the world series if you're a cub fan
1: well and not to jump the gun or anything, but we really hope that we get to hear your speech on on or around july twenty fifth accepting the two thousand and twenty frick award so fingers crossed for that
2: hoping well, that happens uh, for you <laughs> well that's uh, i was I was uh, nominated a couple of times. I was a finalist, and um, you 're only eligible once every three years under the current format they 've talked about possibly changing that, but um, you know what? I, I'm i fine. I'm still working. I have no plans to retire. Um, if I get in fine, if I don't, in no way will I feel my career is incomplete because I have, uh, you know, done just about everything that I would want to do. I've had, you said, this is going to be my 25th year in Chicago with the Cubs. Right there. That's, uh, that's plenty for me. And I want it to keep going to 26, 27, 28, maybe 30. Who knows if I feel good enough? And I mean, I've gotten 38 straight years of of big league announcing. Both of my daughters have been put through college. Um, So, I mean, I, I don't feel like my life or my career is incomplete in any way, shape or form.
1: Well, we agree, but you deserve it. So, (laughs) <laughs> I want to ask you a little bit about your Baseball Voices series, because that is such a cool thing that I don't think is probably as well known as it should be. And I placed an order while doing research on you for this interview. So I'm excited to to get my my own copies here shortly. Um, it's a series, if, if you're listening and don't know, it's a series that Pat does on Um, sports broadcasters and he has some really amazing names in there but I want to know who are some up and coming maybe younger broadcasters that you're looking forward to um, to doing with baseball voices maybe doing a a, some sort of um, spot on somebody younger somebody up and coming
2: sure Uh, well actually and thank you for asking about that the the title of the series though is called uh, baseball voices the hall of fame series So in order for me to um, produce one of those, and I do the the writing, the producing, and the narrating, it's a ton of work, but it's very gratifying. And uh, I've done 17 of them now. But uh, in order for a person to be a candidate to join my series, he must be a Hall of Fame announcer. So that kind of takes away the younger guys. I would say that of the current uh, broadcasters who probably will get in, I think Joe Buck is certainly a strong candidate. Um, I think Tom Hamilton, my good friend over in Cleveland, he's about my age, so he's not really a young guy, but he's he's going to be in there soon. Um, and and the one that came out last fall, it came out a little too late for the holiday, and, it, and then I was going to do some marketing uh, on this new one. It's on Bob Costas, who, in my opinion is, I think, the greatest broadcaster in American history. Not just sports announcer, but when you look at what he has done with with play-by-play, with interviews, with commentaries, with contributions to all kinds of um, uh, documentaries and television specials, uh, and his ability to articulate and express himself is just unbelievable. Uh, So anyway, that's my latest one. but I don't know. It's not something where I plan too far in advance. I do one at a time. And by the way, I put one together on the Cubs winning the World Series. Um, that was a special edition, and that came out uh, right at the holiday of, of 2016. But the website is baseballvoices.com. Um, and, and these are, um, you know, Harry Carey is part of the list. Ron Sando. I needed a special waiver to do Ron Sando. Because he is not a Hall of Fame announcer, but he is a Hall of Fame player. Uh, and the, the people at uh, Major League Baseball knew that he and I were partners. So they said, sure, go ahead. You can, you can produce that. So that was very kind of them. I was going to say, my
1: order was Harry Carey and the, the World Series one. So I'm, I'm so excited to get those.
2: Well, they're, they're fun. And uh, with each one, uh, you think about the person and, and what made him special now in the case of Ron Santo, it's not about broadcasting, it's not a, really about baseball. It's about the fun we had. Uh like for example, the the burning of his hairpiece. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that's got a whole track on it. And there are other tracks, um, you know, just the fun that he and I had. That's um that's basically what the Santo CD is. But then Harry Carey, you look at his career and you um he told me one time his favorite two teams were the 1984 Cubs and then the 1964 St. Louis Cardinals. He was a Cardinal radio man for a long time before coming to Chicago. So uh, I, I immediately focused on those two seasons, and I got the two home runs hit by Ryan Sandberg off Bruce Suter, both called by Harry Carey, and that's a big highlight of the uh, the 1984 Cubs track. So you, you look at the guy's career, what were the big moments, his Hall of Fame speech, did he call no-hitters? Did he call perfect games? Did he call a guy hitting, uh, getting a base hit for his 3,000th hit? How about pennant-winning plays, uh, anything like that? Um, and it's his life story. And with Harry Carey, um, you know, he had a very sad life. He had a very difficult childhood. He never knew his father, never met him, never saw him. And his mother died when he was about seven. So Harry was an orphan from the age of seven on. And... uh you talk about rags to riches. He's like a, a classic American success story of coming from absolutely nowhere to becoming a Hall of Fame broadcaster. So, um, but it, the the website is baseballvoices.com. We've also got uh, my personal scorecards from uh, Game Seven of the World Series and Game Six of the NLCS, and another very special game was the Kerry Wood twenty strikeout game back in 1998. And what I've done, I've had those professionally copied, and uh, it's nice thick paper. And then I sign them, and I put a little inscription. If, if you, you know, if if the uh, customer wants me to put something special, I'm happy to do that. But for the Cubs, I I, I would put um, to Sarah or to Andy, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, Pat Hughes, and um, they're they're fun. They're a lot of fun. So, again, the website is baseballvoices.com.
0: As a person who keeps score at every single game I attend, those scorecards, I've looked at them before. They are absolutely incredible and just outstanding. I mean, that's why one of the reasons you keep score is that you're hoping to capture a moment like the 20 strikeout game or like a World Series victory or the one that has eluded me so far. But I'm going to keep trying a no hitter. (laughs)
2: they 're fun uh it's just a great way to remember it. I just um, uh, took care of a, a customer earlier today. Um, we sell frames my uh, wife's brother uh, so my brother in law is a woodworking genius and he has cherry wood frames on these uh frame score cards and it really comes out looking nice so uh, that's that's kind of a special item that we have but it's a it's such a great way for people to remember. A great moment in their life. Game seven of the World Series. You got the frame. It's my scorecard. You've got all of the uh, action. It's right there. All the innings and who got the hits and drove in the runs and you know little notes that I put down in preparation of each game. And um, it's it. People tell me it's a very unique thing for them to have.
0: Yeah. No. It sounds. I mean, 100% incredible. And I know exactly where to go for gifts for all of my Cubs fans friends. Um, You know, one question that's been kicking around my mind quite a bit these days, there's so much uncertainty around sports media and coverage right now, as different media outlets feel the hit of lost revenues and sports are kind of on hiatus. So oftentimes sports writers have been the first ones to get furloughed or the first ones to get cut. Whose coverage do you really love that you would like to give a signal boost or a shout out during this interview.
2: Whose coverage? What writer or
0: Yeah. Is there anyone you read all the time that you never miss that you want to make sure they know you read?
2: Paul Sullivan is a great writer, I think. Great baseball writer. I would like to see him become a Hall of Fame writer someday with the he's with the Chicago Tribune. Bruce Miles is an excellent writer. Uh, with the Daily Herald was. I think he's retired from them now. Mark Gonzalez is excellent, and he's also with the Tribune Sports, but those are just uh, three that immediately come to mind. I've known all three of them for about 20 to 25 years, um, but I read a lot. I, I really do. I, I, I don't want to uh, diminish the importance of all the other guys, but those are just uh, three of the guys that immediately came to mind. I think it's a its It's such a great sports town, and there are all kinds of talented people writing and broadcasting and um I'm just happy to be a part of it actually.
0: Yeah, Chicago really does have some legendary sports writing and sports broadcasting chops i mean i I can just think of your work, Ron Santo's work, Ron Coomer's work, Harry's work over the years. We've been truly, truly blessed. uh Len Casper was on the show a while back. he's outstanding. Him and JD have a great rapport on the TV broadcast. Chicagoans are kind of spoiled.
2: <laughs> well, it is. It's such a great sports town. Um, I think once you're here, uh, you don't ever want to leave. I know I certainly don't, and I can't imagine broadcasting a game for another organization. I think when I'm uh, when I'm done with the Cubs, that's going to be it for me. I, I just can't see myself going to another city and. Uh, calling games for another club because the Cubs are too much a part of my heart. And uh, ideally I will do this until I no longer can or until they no longer want me to. and, And then that'll be it. But it is, it is an amazing sports town, Chicago. Just love it.
0: Well, I cannot think of a better note to end this very special edition of cup of cubby blue on pat thank you so much for joining me and andy today and sharing these incredible stories and all of the great work that you're doing in baseball
2: sarah and andy it was a pleasure uh, i enjoyed this we can do it again sometime okay oh, oh you gosh, are
0: definitely you are welcome anytime you just let us know and we will clear our schedules to make sure that we get to talk to you
2: okay how about tomorrow <laughs>
0: I'm in. <laughs>
2: Daily,
0: show, yeah. Daily show with Pat Hughes. You heard it here first. Uh, I wanted Andy, to talk basketball, so I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andy and I have competing histories on the whole Michael Jordan years, but that is for a podcast on a different day. Uh, as always, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at BRYZ at underscore Blue. You can find both of us at, at Cuppa Cubby Blue and The podcast is available on bleedcubbyblue.com. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week talking about life without baseball and what you can expect when baseball returns. And thank you again to Pat Hughes for joining us today.